Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz Gauspo. National champions, baby. That's yeah. right. Fantastic. I mean, this was, it was so awesome. I mean, and... Again, I, I know not everyone is an ESPN Plus subscriber, but um, if you were, you got to watch the semi, and you know the final was on ESPNU. So it was the the cats were you know were on TV, were on for anybody to see at least the final, and they showed out. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean it, it was it was so much fun uh, to watch that game, and like Maddie Zimmer, oh my god, <laughs> the the second goal of of the game where she went like coast to coast, outran everybody was just a thing of beauty yeah the so i i want let i want to put a pin in that for a second just because i have something really specific that i want to talk about with maddie zimmer um i think it's wild you know the game it started out as as not a shootout but it's funny you know we were tweeting about this where we've joked about this for the past couple of pods that we've all been kind of gotten a crash course in field hockey for those of us who you know or were not already, you know, did not play or did not know the sport. You know, a lot of us have been learning really quickly. And I think one of the things we've learned, at least as it pertains to Northwestern, is corners don't come around a lot. But when you get one, for a team like Northwestern, the chance of scoring a goal is really high, Um, especially when you have someone like Benton Beckers, who is just capable of just blasting them. And they, they kind of put her at that pivot point. So it's not that the game was a shootout early on per se. It's there that were a lot there were a corners. lot of corners. Exactly. And it started out as kind of like a lot of corners for both teams. Well, and like, then it was, it, it was, it started off being a lot of corners for Liberty. And then the second quarter, Northwestern got a lot of corners. And at the end of the first half, it was five, five apiece. Right. And, uh, you know, neither team scored on, right. on either th- of them. Exactly. And I think, but you saw the, the kind of the flavor of the game shift from like Liberty having those early chances to by midway through the third, it was Northwestern is doing everything out there and just can't cash in a goal. And it was like, it really felt kind of by mid third that we were dominating and that corners are, it's like, here's another corner. There's another corner. There's another corner. Oh my God. How are we not scoring? And it felt like that dam was going to burst. And then, you know, it did um, with that first corner. And then like Sam said, with that just unreal run by Zimmer. Well, you could tell, and, and, and not just in this game, but I think in the, uh, the prior game against Harvard, like, much much like watching the lacrosse team, um, the the dominance in the midfield, like the like like the ability to transition so effectively from one end of the field to the other, which which is you know a critical part of both sports, but it's something that Northwestern just does obscenely well. And they they have this connection between the defense and offense in both of these both of these sports that put them on that national stage, and it's. Um, it's just it was it was really fun to watch a sport I haven't spent a lot of time watching. Um, you can see, you know how how exciting uh, something like field hockey can be. You know, obviously it's not a a big scoring sport in terms of number of goals, much like soccer or hockey, but um, just I, like a ton of fun. And then what was 
maybe the most fun was watching some of the videos of the team arriving back in Evanston. They basically crashed the women's basketball game. Um, just like awesome, awesome. Or the women's volleyball game, I think. Um, but just so much energy and excitement. And this is clearly a really special team that had a lot of fun this past weekend. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, you know, we tweeted out a couple of the video captures from during the final where just, you know, the bench is just going bananas. And then just like Scuzz said, after the, after the game and then after when they got off the bus and the band was there and it was just, you see them all just going bananas, just such an awesome environment. The one thing I wanted to circle back to with Zimmer, just because it's it's really cool, and I, I kind of wanted to draw attention to just how rare it is. Where, how rare is it, not just within Northwestern, that anywhere, where you have a player to the casual fan, right? Not I'm not talking about diehard field hockey fans. I'm talking about Northwestern fans in general. Where you have an athlete in a non-revenue sport go from unknown to known by every casual Northwestern fan. And again, when I say unknown, we're talking about a first-team All-Big Ten player here, right? This isn't, you know, Matty Zimmer is an awesome field hockey player. But it's so funny. I mean, I, I, I juxtapose it like this, right? We were all aware when, and you know, we'll get to football later, but um, Jason Whitaker has gone into the transfer portal, right? As a grad, you know, he's grad transferring out of Northwestern, right? So you're talking our, what, fourth string quarterback from two years ago converted to a tight end. And we were all aware of that the moment it happened, right? I only bring this up to juxtapose just how different, you know, revenue, non-revenue sports are in terms of the awareness of your your average diehard Northwestern fan. But then you have a situation where when you look at the non-revenue sports, right, there's kind of a sliding scale. I wouldn't consider women's basketball a non-revenue sport, right? Because regardless of how it is, you know, year in and year out historically at Northwestern, there's always, you know, there's UConn, there's South Carolina, there are these massive programs. But regardless, someone like Veronica Burton has been a name, you know, pretty much since the moment she showed up at Northwestern, right? And you look at softball and softball is maybe a little bit closer to field hockey, but there still is, I think, a little bit more visibility because it's in the spring, etc. But you still, for a player to really be known by the casual Northwestern fan, you have to have like a Danielle Williams, right? Who arrives on campus immediately as one of the best players in the nation. That's known to everybody, right? And becomes a name like that. But think how rare it is to have a sport like field hockey, where again, Joe Blow, Northwestern fan, you know, focuses football with a side of basketball, knows nothing about field hockey. And despite as good as this team was, at the start of this tournament, that fan did not know Maddie Zimmer and now knows Maddie Zimmer because she was so flipping good in a tournament that ended with her team winning the national title and her being named player of the NCAA tournament that a player in a non-revenue sport at Northwestern effectively made herself a household name to Northwestern fans. That's just awesome to me. It just, that does not happen. For that kind of thing to happen in college sports, in a non-revenue sport, something really special has to happen. And I think to, to me, it just highlights the magnitude of what we got to watch over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I mean... You're 100% right. And uh, yeah, just 
it was it was really really fun to watch that game and every, every anyone who was watching that game you know you you got this excitement you know it, like you the cats broke through in the second in the second half, early in the third quarter. Zimmer with a buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter. I mean, going I mean, co- coast was, to coast, three seconds glorious. left on the clock. It was just a thing to behold. And then in the fourth quarter, you know, two goal lead, and the like. The possession was still in favor of Northwest. Liberty never really got an opportunity to you know to set up to like put real pressure on. They pulled they pulled their goalie with. Six and a half minutes left in the quarter, um, which seemed really, really early. But you know, we didn't. We didn't get actually. The net was empty. We didn't get a shot on on net with it empty. But I guess um, it's hard to. It, it's not like ice hockey where you can you know shoot the puck all the way down the field. Especially it was raining in Ann Arbor, so like the ball was not really flying too well. So you know, an accurate long distance shot from what I understand, is not that easy to get in field hockey. But still, even with the goalie pulled, uh, Liberty takes a minor penalty, goes down, so it's you know even strength, basically. And still, they're not able to get anything set up. They're not able to get sustained pressure because the defense of Northwestern is just playing out of their minds. And you can kind of gauge yourself for how old you are as a Northwestern fan by whether or not... You were making uh, Vladislav Tretiak comments when Liberty pulled their goalie with 6:45 left in the in the match. The uh, I think we were all kind of like, are they really pulling the keeper this early? And then it was kind of like, yeah, you were depending on your age, you were either thinking about the U.S. 1980 Olympic hockey team or you were not. Um, are, should... are, are we starting the Disney movie references already? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, buckle up, there's more coming. Are, 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 we, are yeah. we going there? Okay, okay. I, I, I would o- Open the door, my up. friend. I, 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 I Reference a Disney movie in a pod, I would never. I would never. <laughs> but, I mean, the bottom line is, what, what a run for this team. And we highlighted it last week and the week before. This is a team that was awesome all year. And if anything, was snake bit early in the season with a couple of overtime losses. But this is a team that, again, hasn't lost in regulation since September. They are an absolute bulldozer. They were a team that was playing AA- field hockey for most of the season and then just decided to go straight A-plus in the NCAA. And, again, they just... Matty Zimmer had... Find find a better athlete who's had a better last month than Maddie Zimmer has, um, and the and the team, uh, you know, un, an unbelievable run, and it's the first right. Is it the first field hockey title for Northwestern? First field hockey title, yeah, unbelievable. I mean, what a run! What a what an, a feather in the cap of Tracy Fuchs, and um, yeah, just it, just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so yeah, congratulations to uh, to field hockey um, getting it done bringing home a national championship, uh, just so, so cool. So I guess we do need to turn our attention uh, to Wrigley Field. Um, you know, football was played on a baseball field. Um, I, I, I mean, I, there's, there's not a ton, there's not a ton to say about the game itself. I mean, let's, I mean, I mean, so that's the thing, right? I mean, I think, it's funny because I almost feel like we were 
saying some of the same things for, you know, 11 years ago when we went to the last game where you can't take anything away from the environment, right? I mean, it was um, in terms of the the stadium and Wrigley pulling out the stops for the Cats and the look of the stadium and, you know, for those of us who were there at the game 11 years ago, seeing all the renovations that have been made to the stadium in the context of football, right? Um, the 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 full field with, you know, space behind both end zones that I just want to say, no one who was at the game flipping cared about 11 years ago, but a ton of people who weren't at the game and weren't Northwestern fans sure whined about 11 <laughs> years ago. Um, Very true. But Very true. that was... That was not an issue, and um, you know, and it was a it was a beautiful it was a beautiful day, and that part of it was great. So you know, just wanted to state that off the top at least. I, I actually, I mean, I felt like eleven years ago, right? These stadium, these baseball stadium games were still a little gimmicky and all that sort of stuff. That just this just felt much more well executed than eleven years ago. I like obviously I wasn't there, so I'm I'm watching this through the lens of television, but. The um, being a day game, you know what what that means from a Wrigley perspective, and and as a you know mostly lifelong Cubs fan, um, like that's kind of exciting from my perspective. I think uh, the the weather was a little bit better, better the aesthetic, you know the the field like you mentioned, John, but just in general, like it just last time around, it felt like kind of a you know, square peg in a round hole. And, and this was, um, much more seamless and just seemed much more exciting. You you know, you got shots of the cats walking through the tunnel from the locker room and just like, it, it, like that was really, really cool. And, and I, I mentioned it in part because there's at least what, three or four more Wrigley games coming in the, in the, you know, next five or six years. So, uh, we'll see this again, but, uh, that's, you know, the product on the field needs to improve, but at least the experience um, was uh, enhanced from last time around. And, and John, we, we were fortunate enough to get uh, yeah, some access fr- to some... the, yeah, to the, the 1914 club, which, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah. Some, so unnamed friends of the pod um, who, again, thank you so much. Oh my goodness. But... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hooked us up with some 1914 club seats which was so fantastic for us i mean sam and i each went we each brought our wives we were able to get that full so i mean it was it was for for me personally who's not a huge baseball fan not a huge cubs fan i had not been in the stadium since all the renovations were done and it's just i mean it's staggering what exists in and around and below that stadium it is unreal how much is there and yeah, we were able to go to the 1914 club, and I mean, you know, it's uh, having um, your your carving station in the middle of a in the middle of a football game. It's 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 another way to watch. Yeah, you know, an 18 <laughs> hours smoked uh, short rib was delightful. Um, Sunday bar, you make your own hot dogs, and then you know the. The cocktail menu that they had was was fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, it certainly certainly helped with the product on the field. It, oh, it yeah. did, it did, it did. Um, and you know, I hate to say this because again, it's like this was not a typical experience. But for Sam and I, we were kind of like, 
you know, walking out at the end being like, well, at least we got to go to the 1914. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and you know, so the, you know, for, for us in particular, it was a great experience. But again, I think in the larger sense, you could fold that into the overall experience of going into the renovated Wrigley and, and seeing all that and everything. And I think there's a whole subset of Northwestern fans, right, where so many of us do the dance where we live in the city in some capacity and then, you know, matriculate out to the suburbs, et cetera. So there's that kind of homecoming and um, my wife and I actually lived at Southport and Addison, so you get that whole piece of it, etc. You know, there are a couple caveats for the experience, and Scuzz mentioned the fact that there are a couple of these penciled for down the road. It's, you know, a, the bottom line is a baseball stadium is not the most optimum viewing environment. I'd say, Sam, we had what anyone, you know, in the stadium would describe as very good seats for this game. For, for baseball, yeah. I mean, like, for ba- baseball, baseball se- seats would would have been just unbelievable like right behind the on deck circle pretty much exactly but for football if you ain't in the upper deck you end up doing a fair amount of jumbotron watching um so and that's again it's like this is a novelty right it's a special thing it's not an every time thing and you easily you easily overlook that i mean it's totally fine um less easy to overlook was the fact that Given the way that Northwestern season has gone this year, and given the way Purdue season has gone this year, it was, I mean, it felt half Purdue. I don't know what the actual Easily. numbers were, yeah. but it, it was a Purdue crowd, and that was rough, um, especially when the game started to go the way that it did. We were surrounded by, and again, we were in good seats, and we had Purdue fans all around us. Um, <clears throat> it was much more easy to identify Purdue fans and the, you know, on every kickoff, you're hearing IU sucks as loud as possible. And it's very clear that at least half of the stadium is yelling it. So, you know, that and, and it is what it is. I think we got. You, you we know got, what's funny, though? Like that did not come across on television. Um, and maybe, you know, obviously I have kids running around my house. I was, you know, somewhat distracted at, at times. But like, and I'm sure if I was watching every, you know every moment in between plays um i might you know like obviously you pick up on the cheers and that sort of thing but like visually at least but but much like how indiana uh takes all the pictures of their campus on the day that they host ohio state um visually the crowd looked good and looked pro northwestern you know you're not you know you're not seeing red or hawkeye yellow or right um Illinois orange, right, mixed in with the north with the northwestern. Yeah, you can see some of the you know the gold Purdue, but a lot of Purdue fans wear black. It, but like it just like I was actually as I was scanning the crowd, as I was watching some of the shots, you know, even at you know as they're coming back from halftime or commercial or whatever, I was thinking like, wow, this is a pretty good showing, considering how the season has gone. And obviously, like uh, I was maybe you know <laughs> missing right. something there, but still, well, like, well, and that's I, the thing. Well, and that's the thing too, right? Is we all got the emails at the start of the week that are like, buy your tickets for the Wrigley yeah. game. And we were all kind of like, buy your tickets for the Wrigley game. Like, wow. Like, there's still tickets. And, you know, and if you actually, I clicked because I was curious. And you see that, you know, most of the reasonably priced seats were long gone by that point. But a lot of the pricier seats, you just know the alumni who can afford those seats are scoffing, you know, are are grabbing all those seats up. 
in a different kind of season. And that's that's the flip side. And it just it is what it is. So, you know, again, it's like this is nothing to do with with Wrigley or or the environment or everything they did to put this game on. Those are just these are problems that are very localized to this northwestern season. But, you know, that's just again, I guess to sort of start this on a positive note, the environment, everything Wrigley did, all of those opportunities, the opportunities Sam and I got and everything those are the great things, and those are the things that ultimately you're, you know, you're going to take away. Well, and by way of transition, I think like what really stood out to me, both in the depth chart and then what we actually saw on the field, unlike many who thought this was going to be the start of the youth movement at Northwestern, see what we've got, start thinking about next year. It was anything but from a personnel standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, this is exactly what we've seen from the cats all year long. Like, and, and it just, it belies this, um, this stubbornness we've been talking about, whether it's with specific players or the way that, that, you know, Fitch just approaches the game strategically. And like on one hand, like a lot of people were talking about the starting quarterback decision, right? That like Marty started, a lot of people were surprised. Um, I think most notably Louis Vacare and, uh, uh, Jared Thomas and others at Wildcat Report have been talking about, like, Holinsky's the guy. We've got to see what we've got here. He's got to play the rest of the way this year. Mistakes be damned. Like, that's what we got to look at. As we got the polar opposite in this game, and people reacted to it right out of the gate. And my kind of immediate thought was, well, I guess they really want to win this game. It's a marquee game. It's, a, you know, it's, it's Wrigley Field, and they think that this is the best chance to do it, particularly because of Marty's mobility. And then two series into the game, uh, both of which ended, I might add, on a on a one-yard run on, like, third and eight. Um, we see Holinsky come into the game, and it just, I don't know, like, I, I don't think you could have had a better, like, microcosm of the season in one game, right? You, you had the offense struggling early, then the offense starts to figure it out, and the defense, you know, the secondary kind of falls apart, and then you've got just these, some of these strange decisions and players playing that frankly shouldn't be playing anymore because they've they they're they're seniors there's not a lot of 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 benefit to playing them and they're and they're just not performing and it's it's a huge mess and i just i don't like yeah i I don't know what else to say like there's not much else to say and dissect it but it's just like i can't believe we saw more of the same yeah and it's the i mean first of all i mean there are there are some specific things that you want that you know we know we want to get to you mentioned the stubbornness and we're going to you know we're going to turn the screw on that but it is i mean it really felt like the bottom falling out in terms of everything right like at this point everything is kind of like a smoking heap right i mean i think we have tried to you know to, to beat the drum being like look offensive line run blocking has not been what we hoped it was going to be this season but pass pro relatively has been good and then of course what do we have in the fourth quarter we have four sacks on four straight downs um, trey essex uh remarked he had never ever seen that before four yeah. four sacks in a row in his entire playing career yeah and it's so just like i mean it's like this is i mean no defense here this is just where we are now i mean there are a couple in- injuries and everything and and etc but i mean it's just like this is the bottom falling out on this season it is worth mentioning right look we haven't seen ohio state in person we haven't seen ohio state play northwestern but it's like aiden rich you know aiden hutchinson boy mafe it ain't close to a conversation who the best defensive end in the Big Ten is. I mean, Lord have mercy. 
George Karloftis is a monster. That guy is, I mean, whoa, Nelly. He, seeing him in person, he just dictates everything on the defensive line. There were a couple sacks that were just, they just stunted because he goes inside, the tackle goes with him because everyone's used to doubling him on every single play. And it's just like, I mean, so again, that guy's a monster. Not to excuse anything. I mean, it was just the, the it's just the bottom falling out. You mentioned well, the cor- well, if I might just like put a put an extra point on that. There was I, I forget if it was our first or second, maybe it was our second series. Um, oh, had, I know uh, I know where you're going. <laughs> what looked like a read option, and we handed it off to Hull, and the pl- the plan was to block Karloftis with a pulling guard. Yeah, uh, from yeah. the opposite side of the formation, he's too goddamn fast. I mean, that, he's like, like that yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, don't. Yeah, a guy who's going to start on Sundays for many years just looks at that and laughs. But and, and what was interesting to me is when we got like when when like Northwestern went on those two touchdown drives and looked pretty good doing it. And let's be clear, it was Evan Hull power running behind the offensive line finally not you know not these technical blocking schemes where you're pulling a guard across to block the the outside defensive end who happens to be George Karloftis but like just straight up downhill running breaking through tackles um and it and it just kind of underscored like what like where was that during Duke where was that during Minnesota I just like it is so many decisions this year that just don't make any sense it is worth bringing up right because I think there's that stereotype with Hall a little bit that I think kind of needs to get put to bed that just because he's a guy that doesn't quote-unquote move the pile, there have been a lot of runs this year, and that includes this game, where all the hard yards were just Evan Hall doing it on his own. Um, again, like, the run blocking not been great this season. There's a sliding scale where, like, you get a team that's a little bit farther down the ladder like Purdue. It should have been better against Purdue, um, but... Evan Hall is a hell of a back and a hell of a piece to be bringing into next season when we ain't, you know, as of right now, it doesn't look like we're bringing a hell of a lot of pieces. Having an Evan Hall with a Cam Porter is something to hang your hat on. You talked about the quarterback play earlier. It's funny. I wanted to bring this up because um, obviously, you know, we know Milton Wright. We tweeted after the game. Northwestern had 90 more yards of offense than Milton Wright did. Um I know. He went absolutely bananas. Eight receptions for 213 yards. I mean, poor A.J. Hampton and Rod Hurd. It was just, it was it was really, really rough. The point I wanted to make, though, is it's not enough for just a wide receiver to beat his guy deep. The quarterback has to either, you know, has to hit him in stride, right? And the fact that on every one of those plays, O'Connell, who is not God's gift to quarterbacks, He's decent. This offense helps him a ton. Um, and they throw all day. And he's been better lately. He's also crushed them with interceptions earlier in the season. But he was locating. And it gave me enough pause to stop and be like, can you A, remember a time when a Northwestern wide receiver was overthrown on a deep ball this season? And then, or or, or like like, or, win, like when's the last season that happened? Right. Or when was the last time you can remember on a deep ball a Northwestern receiver caught in stride? There have been several plays where Stefan or Malik have gotten separation and then had to wait for the ball. And I mean, it happened in this game. 
It happened in that amazing catch that Malik gave, you know, made in this game, where, again, that's by far Northwestern's best pass play of the game, but Holinsky underthrew it. And this is after two games where Marty did this several times. And it's been a problem all season. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, you focus on the incomplete passes, you focus on the interceptions, but it's just like quarterback play has just not been there at all for Northwestern. And in addition to all these giant errors, you have these big plays that could have been so much more that weren't because of this happened. So, I mean, it's just like you have, you have problems. And then, and you know, our secondary play, right? AJ you know, was leading the Big Ten in PBUs for a long period of time. And it's like AJ and Cam were, if not unbelievable, solid all this season. And then again, it's like now they get dusted, right? It's like the the bottom's falling out. Well, Cam, I thought Cam played quite well against David Bell. I mean, That's not, true. Not, not as well as Greg Newsom did last year. But I thought he, he played quite well. I thought he got um, – I thought the, the – Pass interference he took, you know, early in the first quarter was uncharitable. Um, I didn't think that was a correct call, but but whatever, right? It was bang bang. Um, but I thought I thought he did a really good job, and that what that's not to say he's been perfect, but he's been a great number one corner. Um, and then Milton Wright just like the 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 double moves on the outside were um, perfection you know when when you bake in o'connell in the past the, the past protection we couldn't we couldn't get to o'connell very often and it just it it under it, it it accentuated some problems that we've seen it off and on throughout the year yeah and you know the the defensive line it's it's on one hand like we've talked about the character of this defensive line since the beginning of the season like sacks is not really what they do with that said i mean we had one sack in this game you well, could full- well i can I just underscore that? Because your point at the beginning of the year when you previewed this team was when you when you hire a guy like Jim O'Neill, who, right. has, who has grown up in the same coaching tree that currently leads the Wisconsin defense, Wisconsin's defensive line doesn't get sacks either. It's their right. linebackers, and it's attacking with their linebackers, and that is a thing that we have not seen ever this season. And it, right. just, it underscores this whole question we have about, like, what is the, the the strategy here? I know. And so you have this situation where, you know, I think Northwestern's credited for one sack. Trevor Kent is credited with that sack. I mean, O'Connell kind of actually, act, you know, kind of escaped his grasp, but, but they blew it dead. You had another play where I think Tommy had one, but it was called for defensive holding, so that went off the books. But the bottom line is, like, we weren't getting to Aiden O'Connell, and— that gave them enough time to set up their offense and everything. And there, it's, again, it's like, we don't, everything Scott said is true. We don't have the greatest pass rushing line in the world. So then the question is, all right, so what's the plan going to be? Are you just going to let them carve you up? Or are you going to go something else? Are you going to try a different scheme? Are you going to try different personnel? Scott's mentioned again, it's like, at no point in this game did we try out like a young, you know, a Jaden Cameron or someone, right? Someone we haven't seen yet, right? Where it's like, look, put this guy out on the edge. A, a linebacker with speed. Right, ex- exactly. Um, and, but again, it's like since we started talking about this game, we kind of been dancing around it and Scuzz has mentioned it off the top. There's, there's a specific thing we want to talk about and there's a specific way that I kind of want to get at it. And... Let me preface this by saying, look, this is, I'm not saying this to drag Charlie Kubander. That's not what this is about. 
Okay. Um, but Charlie Kubander is currently the last ranked kicker in the NCAA. Okay. He's the only kicker with as many attempts as games, right? Basically, the short of it is the only kicker the NCAA is actually tracking based on attempts who has made less than half of his field goals this season, okay? The NCAA official stats have him 109th out of 109 countable kickers, okay? It's as bad as it can be. And the reason I'm bringing that up, the only reason I'm bringing this up, is for you to even get to this point where such a thing is possible in game 11 of the season, two things have to happen. One is your kicker has to be shanking kicks, but the other is your kicker has to not be sat down. The only other player in the country, the only other player in the country who has not made more than half of his kicks with a qualifying number of attempts is Connor Culp at Nebraska, who's made 50% of his kicks and has been benched for over a month, okay? And you just, like, it's just, there are plenty of people who are like, look, kicking has not been the problem this year. Totally, you're right. These are not kicks that were deciding games, okay? That's that's not the issue. But but the it issue, also hasn't not been a problem this year. No, well, and that's the thing. I mean, because uh, uh, you're right, because it's hard to be like, all right, so if kicks are made earlier in games, how does that change the trajectory of a game, etc.? But it's it's an avatar, right? It's an indicator of everything else because Northwestern has Trey Finnison, who is a junior. Northwestern has Jack Olson, who was the number four recruit in the country as a kicker coming out of high school. He went to Michigan State and sat behind Michigan State's kicker, and then COVID happened. And COVID, amongst other things, gave Michigan State's senior kicker another year of eligibility. I'm not saying that's why Jack Olson transferred to Northwestern. Again, he was coming home, and we've all talked about like what happened during COVID and guys wanting to make that change and come closer to home. The bottom line is, regardless, Northwestern has a massive kicking recruit on the roster, right? And this is all a way of saying, like, this situation doesn't happen at the other 129 programs in the country. It just doesn't. You all know it doesn't, right? Um, and it's just like, it's it's the kind of thing where, yeah, on one hand, in a vacuum, the kicking doesn't matter. But this isn't the only position where this has happened this season, Okay. There's at least one other position I can think of where a very similar situation has happened. We can look at the running backs last season. It's the same kind of situation. It's this stubbornness, and I'm not going to change. And then you start to be like, maybe, you know, into that you can focus. You can fold in hiring a defensive coordinator just because you seem to get on well with the guy, right? And all of these things where it's like, this is, you know, this is. What the way Fitz operates, this is what he's going to do, and it's it's just you end up with these situations where when it goes bad, it's you you won't see this anywhere else at any other team in the country. And it, it, we made the point, we made the joke last week. It's like a Disney fiefdom, right? And that like he's our monarch. And like and like like let's all be clear, we love Fitz. There's a, there's a lot to love about Fitz. Absolutely. This stubborn streak, like we've been talking about it all year. And then we've been talking with some folks like who are in the know over the past couple weeks. I'm stunned to find out how on point we are about this and yeah. the stubborn streak and and the 
the evaluations we're making about players and, and kind of questioning, like, what is going on there? Like, like, and, and Kubander is a, a perfect illustration. And again, like that is not about Charlie Kubander, like what everything John just outlined. It's the fact that like, we keep throwing him out there to the wolves. And now maybe the other dudes on the roster are injured and, and Fitz just doesn't want to talk about that, but it just, it belies this, this stubbornness. And we make the joke all the time. Like there's a stubborn Irishman that runs Northwestern. Well, it like, it's really true. And for all of you out there who are screaming about firing, uh, John O'Neill or, um, or, or, or firing Bajakian, like it probably ain't going to happen. And, the bigger question to me, the bigger thing that we should be asking and pressuring is like fits. Like when are you going to adapt? And yeah, when are he, you going he's, to he's been there for 16 years and has shown zero likelihood that that's going to happen though, is the thing it, it, it is. And, and I guess like this, we, we talked about this on the podcast last week too. And we had a listener that, that wrote in and I, and again, I have failed to look up, um, <laughs> the listeners names so I can give them credit, but like asking that question of, you know, Fitz has virtually zero pressure on his job. And I'm not suggesting that he should be on the hot seat. I don't think Northwestern should fire Fitz, but um, there's zero pressure for him to operate differently or reinvent himself or really go back to the drawing board. Cause Northwestern has like in his tenure has never gone back to the drawing board. It's been this, it's been this slow evolution from the Randy Walker years to what we expected on day one of the Fitz era that he wanted to rebuild this team in the image of the 1995 team, hard nosed defense, hard nosed running game, ball control, nineties style college football, I might add. And that's what we're getting. And it, and like, I think the, the excitement that we all had coming into this year that, the potential for scheme change on defense, the potential for Bajakian to finally do what we've seen him do in seven other places, right? We're on the table and we felt like there was, you know, an exciting mix of talent to be able to play around and try it. And we've seen the exact same Northwestern team we've seen for the last five years. And yes, that Northwestern team won two big West championships and won 10 games, I think in three different seasons. But um, this like at the end of the day, this is who Fitz is. And again, for the fans out there screaming about the, the offensive defensive coordinator, I don't think it's about the coordinators. I think it's about Fitz. I think it's about how he operates the program. I think it, I think I don't like he doesn't want this type of season, but the things that have built up to cause some of the problems we've seen this season is what he wants. It's it's you know he's not going to be the guy to play younger, less experienced players who, who, you know, make mistakes, but might elevate the the ceiling of dynamic dynamicism that you might see uh, from play to play. And that's a choice. And again, I'm not suggesting we fire fits, but at the same time, like what, 11 months ago, we literally all freaked out that he might go to the NFL and maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Cause it, it probably enables some of the stubbornness in some ways. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. It, I mean, it, it does. And I mean, he's, it's that, it's that privileged position and it's, it's kind of leading to some of this. And, and the thing is you, you're almost, when things go south, it almost feels like you're destined for a situation like this because you're, yes. it feels like two things are going to happen. One, when things go south, they're going to go South Pole South because there's not going to be that willingness to try every solution and pull out all the stops to turn out of the skid, right? And and then the other part of it is when things do go south, Northwestern Nation 
en masse immediately zeroes in on on all these problems and just and just goes nuts about it. I mean, it's like I you know we've tried to be as diplomatic as we can pretty much the entire season. All of you out there, I mean, we're hearing it every week, and a lot of people are, and people are so mad at all this stuff. People are tearing their hair out. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's you know, we think about the things that we're saying and, you know, the comments we make about Fitz and stuff like that, and it's like, you know, we know that out there in the Northwestern sphere, it's it's 10 times worse, you know, some of but, the stuff that people are saying. Let's also keep in perspective that, you know, Northwestern, we're not out here calling for the head of a guy who took us who took a team to four consecutive New Year's six bowls, like what just happened down in Gainesville. Right. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like, that's the, our whole big, right. Frozen metaphor from last week, right. Is that everything is just totally different. And as Scuzz said, our Disney fiefdom, right. That it's just, it's a totally different set of rules where we are right now. And right. And that's the thing. Like you get that level of loyalty, that you don't get at other places. And Lord knows Fitz is as loyal a guy as there is. Um, and that's, and that's fantastic. And we're, we're so lucky to have that, but what, there's well, so, and, and he has certainly earned some rope. Absolutely. He's, he's the most accomplished coach at Northwestern ever period. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. And, but it's just, it's just so funny because, we all are just so hyper aware of exactly what the problems are. There's not a single person who isn't. I mean, it's like that Charlie Kubander situation. I mean, it, it couldn't get any more cut and dry, right? And you have guys like you know a Mac Uline. Like that guy doesn't get that guy doesn't get inserted into the roster at at least eighty percent of the other college football teams in the country if they're having a season like this. Everyone else is pulling out all the stops. It's kind of funny. Like I. I hadn't really thought about it so much, but you look at our defensive line in, in, in a game like this Purdue game, and you're just thinking, you know, what what tweeners are there down the line that are just like pure speed guys that we can throw on there just to see if they can get around the end? You know, I'm just like, might as well try, right? I mean, it's like the ship has sailed here, and, and Scott said it right off the top. You know, when we very first started talking about this game, we didn't see any of that. And I think... Now let's let's remind everybody like Northwestern has recruited better in the last two years than they have in quite a while. Like, like there's a lot of talent on this on this team, but it hasn't played in games and Fitz isn't comfortable with it. And we've heard anecdotes about like, frankly, past situations that you would be stunned about players that that, you know, like he had to be convinced of to give a shot. And it just it's. It's mind-numbing uh, in, and, and, in some and ways. What's, and we, what's crazy is, like, that's how you get into situations like we had this year with four returning starters, right? It's because... Yes, yes, exactly. You know, we're not playing the depth. We're not giving everyone a chance to get in there and get their feet wet. I mean, practice is one thing. Game is another thing. I mean, we've seen plenty of, of time, plenty of scenarios, plenty of instances where... A guy who's looked awesome in practice has looked like dog shit in the game. I mean, let, let me let me double down on this because it's not just the the dedication to playing experienced players. It's also the philosophy of trying to win everything as a one score game and rarely getting any garbage time. I mean, like think about the linebacker situation. How many minutes during Patty Fisher's career was he not on the field against 
FBS teams. Like zero. Virtually zero. Now, I like, I don't know what the actual number is, but um, that's like, that matters. And like, and again, I, like in some ways you're kind of picking nits because it's pretty hard to pick nits on, on the defense and the way it operated during those years that Patty Fisher was playing. Right. So, um, but I just, there's a, there's a, the, the stubbornness and like this Purdue game, this is the, like, this is where we started, right. Is that like, we saw the exact same product this past weekend that we've seen all year, the same guys, the same scheme, the same approach, very little different. And it's at a certain point, you're just kind of staring at it, wondering what, like, what am I not seeing? Right. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it's funny because there's this whole piece of, like we say, in the bottom falling out here and looking ahead to next season and being like, oh my God, like look at all the errors all over the ball at every position group. There's not a single group that's unscathed at this point, right? Um, It's such a mess. How do we fix all this? And then looking at the amount of turnover, right? And it's so many schools, for example, the defensive line. You'd be like, oh my gosh, if this is how it was this season and then we're losing like six guys off this line, like dear Lord, what does this say about the guys who weren't playing that we're going to see next year, right? And it's like, I mean, I can tell you how it would be at most schools, right? At most schools, you would look at it as an absolute dire warning. I don't really know. It could be an awful situation, right? It could be that, that again, at Northwestern, the two-deep was chiseled in stone at the start of the season, and that was never going to change in any way. So there's no way to know, right? It could be that we have guys that, you know, were sophomores this year on the defensive line who were phenomenal players who just weren't part of that rock that got chiseled in, right? Um, You know, we think of a guy like Wayne Dennis, where we figured we were going to see so much of Wayne Dennis this season, right? Um, And then I've seen precious little of him. And it's like, does that, you know, I I don't know what that means. It could just mean that... We don't know if he's been hurt. I mean, if if he's injured, if he's not on the two deep... They don't have to report, right? Right, right. So it's like, I mean, we we have no idea, right? I mean, it could be that he's been hurt. It could be that he has just really not measured up. Or it could be that just at Northwestern, you're either in that too deep at the start of the year or you're not. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's all of these things. And again, you can kind of all listen to us and listen to this bubbling over with us. I mean, we've got, you know, out in there, high profile, you know, it, it's kind of everyone's reaching the end of their fuse. If you know a Northwestern fan in your life, you follow Northwestern Twitter, God forbid you go on any of the message boards or anything, right? It's like everyone's everyone's reaching the end of their rope. And the so, I mean, it's like you can hear it when you're talking with us and we're just trying to kind of go at this and everything. But it's, you know, this it's it's just a reflection, right? It's just looking in the mirror of this season. This is just where we are this season. And, and this is, you know, we're all just trying to get through it. And and there's still one more game to go, right? Right, a, a very important game. That, yeah. Um, I like. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Northwestern came out and beat Illinois next week. And at the same time, for the first time in in a number of years, I I would not be at all surprised if we lost. Right, which again is frankly more of a statement about Northwestern. It's not like Illinois has been good this year. Um, they've they, been they, they've been decent the last couple of weeks. 
They've so like they've put in better showings than Northwestern, I would say, in their losses. They also have a lot of losses. So they're again, it's like they're truth be told, like their 42 14 drubbing at Virginia looks at as about their but their worst loss of the season right now. I mean, they got lost 24 nothing to Wisconsin. I ain't about to shake a stick at that. <laughs> um, they. You know, they lost close to Rutgers, etc. They're not a good football team. Are they a better football team than us? They quite possibly are, for sure. Um, and again, we're going to have to fight. It's a rivalry game, but it, you know, as of right now, it feels like a rivalry game that's going to be a close, tough battle. Like it always is, right? Yeah. And again, it's like there, it would be nice to at least have that and. Be able to not just have to look at twin three and nine seasons in 2019 and 21 and, and still be able to keep the hat. But uh, it's, it's just where we are right now. I mean, it, it it's it's rough. Again, God bless field hockey for bringing home that natty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what more can you say? Uh, do we want to talk about the rest of the conference? Do we want to talk about... Um, the rest of college football. I mean, it's rivalry week. Um, you know, I think of Thanksgiving week as just an opportunity to watch as much football as humanly possible and eat as much food as humanly possible. Um, That's where I'm at. Yeah. I, like, and I don't, I mean, Ohio state, Michigan is a meaningful game for the first time in what, three seasons or so. Uh, you've got, and, and yet um, does anyone really think that Michigan can win that game? Nope. Yeah. Not I mean not after last week. <laughs> I mean, Sammy, you and I were sitting in in Wrigley, looking up at the uh, at that green scoreboard, watching those white digits be put on the board for the Ohio State Michigan State game. And at first, I thought I was reading it wrong, and I was like, "Is this like something where it's like they're putting it in base?" But then I was like, "Nope, it's forty nine nothing. I'm not reading anything wrong." Um, and I mean, they Ohio State is. You don't want to mess with this. The Ohio State. I mean, Scuzz was saying this weeks ago. But Ohio State put the beginning of their season to bed so long ago, and now they're just kicking the tar out of everybody. And then on the other side, you know, Wisconsin has to travel to Minnesota. It's a pretty interesting matchup, uh, even though Minnesota hasn't beaten them in a long time. And uh, if they do, and Iowa <laughs> beats uh, an Adrian Martinez, Martinez-less Nebraska, then Iowa's going to win the West, whereas if Wisconsin does win the game against Minnesota – they'll win the West. So like, I just, my point being like, there's meaningful games this upcoming weekend. There's a lot of kind of like drivel. Like I think we all thought Indiana Purdue would be a lot more exciting than it is. Um, you know, Michigan state is effectively out of it now. And, uh, yeah, there's not much to write home about otherwise. Yeah. Iowa, Nebraska, I was only a one and a half point favorite and that's with Martinez out. That's weird. It, that that, that feels, something something feels funky there. It's weird, and I mean, again, it's like we've talked about this forever. Nebraska played Wisconsin kind of tough, and it's like Nebraska is, you know, they are as as plucky of a three and eight team. Let's let's put it this way: there's multiple kinds of three and eight teams in the Big Ten right now. And <laughs> Nebraska's one of them. Um, so, I mean, they've, they've had so many close losses this season and 
that's the thing. I mean, I and you know, Iowa could easily off their offense being what it is, come in and, and lay an egg. So it is funny. I mean, it's like Nebraska truly, as rough as their season is, they are a real figure in how the West finishes up. Yeah, and, um, you know, just kind of nationally, Georgia is just waiting for Alabama uh, at and the SEC championship game, um, you know, with – the Iron Bowl this weekend, Bama and the Brian Harson Brian Harsons, um, without Bo Nix. So maybe Brian Harson will go out and, and play quarterback for Auburn. <laughs> oh, that's bye bye Alabama. Say goodbye to the CFP. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, there's just there's just a lot of fun matchups, right? I mean, you got the Egg Bowl, which is you know they're both ranked this year. Uh, Ole Miss at twelve, Mississippi State at twenty five. Um, you know, Boise, San Diego State, you know, watch the best punter ever uh, for San Diego State. Like, oh, my God. Have, have we have we talked about him on the pod yet? I think so. Coke uncorking 70, 80 yard punts. Yeah, it's it's uh, absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, Matt, is it Asiata? Is that his name? Or I'm I'm probably getting it totally wrong. Um, but yeah, he's he is absolutely incredible. One thing that was interesting to me, and a lot of people probably haven't noticed this, but so you have Oregon, Oregon State, and then the Apple Cup happening on the same day, right? If Washington wins the Apple Cup and Oregon State beats the Ducks, which again, that's a, that's the tall order. Like Washington could definitely beat Washington State. Oregon State beating no, the Ducks. No, Wash- Washington is that like Washington yeah, lost to Colorado. I'm I know sorry. Washington is I mean, not good. I mean, Washington State's no peach either, but I'm like, if that happens though, if Washington could be what and again, it's rivalry game. So if it happens, if that happens and Oregon State beats the Ducks, Oregon State wins the Pac 12 North, which is wild. And they only bring that up because in addition to Purdue's other wins, Purdue beat Oregon State at the start of the season in a game no one thought meant anything. And since then, Oregon State has put a, you know, they're seven and four right now. And so kind of, it's kind of weird, but, but yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it again. It's like, I'm, I'm with you guys. I mean, you guys talk about eating as much food. Sam, thanks to the 1914 club. I was not waiting to food medicate. I was getting, I got my food medication in hard and heavy on Saturday. They had, they had to roll me out of that place. Pretty much. Yeah. And, you know them like basically hoisting all of their like pre-wrapped stuff on us as we were on our way out the door just like here take it because you know they're done for the year right there there's there's nothing else happening at Wrigley Field until next spring Um, right and there's and there's two kinds of people that walk into a swank club like that there are the classy people and then there are people like my family who are just hoarding every (laughs) single thing they can on the way out the door um real quick just to, to timestamp this a little bit, um, you know, as, as we've been recording this, Northwestern is playing Providence in men's basketball. Uh, 5.23 left in the game. Providence up by 8, uh, 60 to 52. We'll kind of keep an eye on that as we wrap up to see if Northwestern can uh, make a bit more of a comeback. Um, Providence has been up in this game pretty much most of the way. And, uh, and- just. 
we should we should say too, right? That um, so important thing for people to know. First of all, this is the front end of. I'm um, keep blanking on the name of this tournament. Um, the Roman Legends Classic. Oh, that's right. That's right. Come on. The, uh, I mean, how are Roman, you going to get your Ro- ED medication without that's Roman? Fair, fair. Uh, the 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 big thing, right? Is Providence is very good. So I don't know. A lot of people are aware of that. We talked on Twitter about the fact that Northwestern has an unbelievable 10 games of creamy frosting on the schedule. Providence is not part of that 10. Um, Providence beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin last week. Um, so they are, and they're 4-0. So they're quite a good team. Yeah, they're currently up by nine. Um, the, but, you know, the subcategory of this is, is again, Northwestern has 10 games of sweet, creamy frosting, and that's great. The question is what happens in all of the other games, right? Because the Big Ten schedule is the Big Ten schedule. So this was the the first real test, and as of right now, yeah, they're down 10 with uh, 523 left. It ain't done and dusted yet, but that's where we are. What's pretty interesting is when you look at this game, like Northwestern's not really, they're they're getting a little bit out-rebounded. They don't have quite as many assists they've got a, f- a few more personal fouls a couple less turnovers but it's like it's not it's not crazy they're just providence is just shooting really well i mean they're shooting almost 50 percent from the field um because again they're a really good team but like like i know the score is a is an eight point game right now but the the, the cats have been um they've been down big a couple moments but overall like this this is looking like a um I would say a slightly positive indicator uh, after the after the first four games of the year. Yeah, I mean the, the big difference here, I think, is the the Providence has been shooting the long ball. Um, you know, at, yeah, that's true. They got twelve threes, twelve threes to Northwestern six. Um, you know, so that that's six more points, and you know, forty five percent shooting for Northwestern, forty seven point nine percent for for Providence. So I mean, the. The stats are all pretty equal. Um, we've gotten more free throws than them, um, but you know the the three point the, they're shooting threes, and we are uh, uh, again similar percentage. You know they're shooting forty four percent from three. We're shooting forty three percent from three. They've, they, they've, they've taken twice, as, twice many. as many. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's again, it's you know, it's funny. We're we're Northwestern's cut it to six sixty two now. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's. And it's, again, it's like this is, the Cats are obviously fighting hard with, again, what is clearly a very good Providence team. I mean, they went into the Cole Center and won. And that's that's kind of the thing, though, right, is, again, we've got so much, like, like literally, there are 10 games, and that 10 games includes eight just absolutely horrible basketball teams, and then, um, uh, and then... Wake Forest and DePaul, who were both, I think, between the ten, the two of them, they won less than ten games combined last year. So Northwestern should be ten and zero out of those ten games. But again, the Big Ten is the Big Ten. Again, the, the conference is such a meat grinder, and that's the thing. I mean, you're going to have nothing but knockdown dragouts in every single one of those conference games. So it's like, what you know, what can we do? I mean, fighting really hard and playing close isn't enough. Because ultimately, you're going to have to start grabbing some of those games. I mean, it's funny. Those 10, they, you know, you can stake yourself to a 10-0 non-conference or even with a loss here, right? A 10-1 non-con schedule. And you're still, to get to 20 wins, you got to win 
at least half of those Big Ten games. And again, it's just that is such a brutal road. So it's going to take winning the tough games against the good teams to get it done. Uh, yesterday, the women uh, played DePaul uh, down in at Wintrust Arena. Um, you know, DePaul got off to a huge lead. First quarter, 32-13, they were up. Um, you know, big, big lead. Northwestern came roaring back. Uh, and then it was just neck and neck throughout most of the second half. Um, you know, DePaul pulled away, just, you know, made, made a few more shots down the stretch to win that game uh, by three. Um, so, yeah, hats off to DePaul for, for getting it done. But, you know, the, the first years for Northwestern have been playing really, really well. Uh, you know, Kaylee Walsh is, you know, she, she's six foot three. She, she's a, uh, she's a big and she's like bombing threes. It's really, really fun. It's it's so funny because again, it's like we feel like to an extent we've been snake bit with the men's team for the past, you know, five or six years in this regard. But it's like we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. Northwestern stacked with recruiting talent on the women's basketball team. Like it's just mega recruit after mega recruit, and they're all just going out there and kicking ass. And it's like that's the way it's supposed to be. Like these girls like like Walsh, like they were like like Anna Morris, like again, like we've talked about this for years. These and, were and massive. Morris hasn't even played, you know, right? Jillian, and Morris Jillian hasn't even Brown. got out there, right? Jillian Brown, like these were all mega recruits who are just showing up, being like my show now, and they're just like running it. And of course, you know Burton too. It stings for me, especially for you know for Burton for Wood, because that game last year against DePaul was such a tight affair, also, and you know. Both of those two teams have been phenomenal basketball teams over the past couple of years. And, you know, it's just like you wanted to see the Cats get theirs in what clearly is just an absolute neck-and-neck struggle between two phenomenal basketball teams who are right at the top of their respective conferences. So, I mean, again, it's like expect to see both of those teams in the tourney, you know, come March. But um, just wish the Cats could have got theirs. Cat shot uh, 3 of 18 from beyond the arc. Uh, Burton had a rough one, five of 13 on the floor, uh, one of six from three, four of seven from the line. So, you know, uncharacteristically off night, uh, for Burton. We've seen that with the women's team a little bit this, this year so far too, um, where the offense has kind of, you know, abandoned certain players at certain times. And the difference is with teams that are not elite, like DePaul, the blizzard just, destroys them and it just doesn't matter because whatever happens to the cats the other team is getting it way worse but but yeah they're um that's going to be i think getting into the schedule if this team's going to kind of max it out they're going to need to kind of find a couple more hot hands but like you said it helps that they're getting you know that youth movement is stepping up so quickly not just for that but again because it's like the the veronica burton experience can't last forever and it's going to be great to to watch some of these other players rise up uh, we got anything else to talk about tonight, guys? Or uh, can we uh, put this one to bed and go dreaming about hats? Yeah. Hat, 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 hat. Hat, 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 hat. Yeah, I, I, I guess I would say this. So I, I well, I'll, I'll frame it this way. So the the same friends of the pod who got us, um, you know, Sammy and I, the, these fantastic seats and these fantastic, you know, club privileges for the game – also extended tickets for what was a, a Cubs season ticket event for the day after the game. 
to actually go out on the field. So um, Sunday, I went with my family, um, and it was truly a, a magical experience. I went with my wife, my daughter. Again, we tweeted it out. I have a photo. I mean, the the beauty of an event for Cubs season ticket holders, as opposed to Northwestern season ticket holders, is there are not a million people crowding around the end at the middle of the field trying to get photos with the end. So I kind of had the end, all that real estate just to ourselves. So, you know, I have my daughter lying in the middle of the end and I'm just watching her just sprawled out there. I'm taking photos and I'm being, it just doesn't, it doesn't get any better than this. And it's, it's moments like that, that you really want to kind of reconnect. Right. And it's like, for a lot of us, it was the environment at the Wrigley game, just the general thing. Right. Um, we're all trying to make it through at this point. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, you know, the all of you out there, all of our listeners, all Northwestern Nation, it's been rough. And we've all been in a pretty rough place. And again, God bless the field hockey team for helping us out. But, you know, let's all try to stay connected to the magic of being Northwestern fans. You know, try to take the long view. And again, it's just like, this has been a really rough season. There's one game to go. Let's just continue to help each other, help each other through. Yeah, and uh, we'll see what happens after the Illinois game, if any changes will be made. I do not foresee that happening, but, you know, stranger things have happened, right? Yeah, we we shall see. Again, I think, you know, <clears throat> it's there are all kinds of things. I mean, we're, we're all kind of watching. We'll be watching the end of the season with trepidation, too, to see what happens, you know, what happens in the portal, what happens everywhere else, you know. We shall see, but... Regardless, come hell or high water, we will help each other through. Um, well, before we go, I just want to say to both of you, happy Thanksgiving uh, to you and your families, um, wherever your journeys may take you. I uh, hope you guys are have a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I'll be going to the happiest place on earth. Um, I don't mean the 1914 club, although that was pretty <laughs> close. <laughs> Um, there, there, there will be, uh, let me put it, there will be a similar amount of food gluttony though. Um, Scuzz primed the pump on the happiest place on earth a couple weeks ago, and now I will be heading there myself with my family. So yeah, looking forward to it, but yeah, happy Thanksgiving and happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there too. All of you, you know, go, uh, have a great Turkey day. And with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates, and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.